He shall cry to me, and I will hear him in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, dear friends, we begin our Lenten observance in, in earnest, and uh, it is a, a tithe, a tithe of our time and our sacrifice that we uh, uh, dedicate to God. Uh, this Lenten observance, the book of Deuteronomy says that no one is to come before God who does not put forth a tithe, a tithe of our time and our sacrifice uh, to God. And we see last Sunday I explained to the faithful that our Lord is the divine realist. In other words, somebody who's a realist can grasp reality as it is and is not afraid to confront that reality. And we see this uh, all the more so today. Our Lord uh, not only goes into the desert, but he, he is led by the Holy Ghost to be tempted by the devil. Our Lord uh, goes uh, for this reality to be tempted in the desert. He goes uh, to the turf of the devil. He goes to the fight. And to fight who? The ancient enemy. Uh, the serpent who rebelled, uh, the angel who rebelled from God in heaven and who tempted our first parents in the desert. And all those tricks that the devil used against Adam and Eve, he again uh, pulls up on our Lord. Uh, uh, temptation of the eyes, the, 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 the body, pride, uh, knowledge, power, all those he pulls on our Lord. Uh, our Lord came for this, for this was I born that I should give testimony to the truth. Our Lord is unlike us. He is not only willing, but uh, eager. He's eager to go out and fight against his enemies. And this enemy is far, certainly far more wiser and far more powerful than we are. And our, therefore our Lord goes to fight for us, but to also teach us how to fight. And this is the second part is where the Protestants go wrong. The Protestants will admit that Christ went uh, to fight for us. He did everything for us. No, that's not true. He didn't do everything for us. He, because our Lord didn't gain anything uh, by fasting for 40 days. He's God. We need to fast. But he teaches us how to fast, how to fight the devil. Because we have a role to play in not in the uh, essential aspect of redemption, but in our cooperation. That's why St. Paul says, I fill up in my body those things which are lacking to the passion of Christ. Now that statement would sound blasphemous. Uh, what's lacking in the passion of Christ? Nothing. But there's something lacking in as much as my participation. Christ wants me to participate in that and cooperate in that reality for me to obtain that which he has essentially accomplished for us. Yes, so when we say Christ goes to fight for us, it doesn't exclude our cooperation in that battle. We have to fight in this world. And we are going to be tempted. And Christ goes to teach us how to be tempted, how to fight faithfully. God, yes, I know this is always asked by people, does God tempt us? Yes, God allows the temptation either by physical trials, sufferings, difficulties, crosses, done purposely, or he allows the enemies, whether it be the devil uh, or our neighbor or whatever, to, to be able to tempt us, uh, to try us, to make us uh, uh, endure hardship, difficulty. Uh, this is good for us. 
uh, and the Bible, and again, the book of John explains that God, God sends this trial uh, in order that we may show, show that we love him and that we are uh, reunited with him, or that we are not, because uh, trials, temptations, uh, show us our real worth. Just as in a crisis, whether it's a crisis in the family, crisis in the church, crisis in whatever community, you see people's true colours. Uh, you see uh, who they are for what they are when things are difficult. In the good times, it's uh, easy to put on a facade and uh, make people believe that we are with them. But when the trials come, when difficulty has happened, we start to see people's true colours. Uh, and that's the beauty of temptation. We start to see whether we actually love God or we are lovers of ourselves. And uh, we see through this whole uh, gospel, and that's what's interesting about the, this gospel, is that uh, this whole episode of our Lord's temptation in the desert, it's very brief, actually. Mm, just a, a few uh, lines, really. And yet our Lord fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights. He was there in the desert, praying and fasting. And yet the gospel doesn't tell us all the other things that our Lord was doing there. It doesn't go into much detail. But what it does cover is the essential detail that is important for us. And the uh, whole uh, stream, both in the Gospel today and in the Mass today, it's really just quoting from the book of Exodus, uh, the, book, uh, the time of Exodus from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, uh, where the people are being tried in the Old Testament. They are taken into the desert out of Egypt, the good days of Egypt, but they weren't that good. They were so complaining to God to deliver them. When God does deliver them and leads them into the, the desert to take them to the promised land, what do they do? They constantly whinge and complain and they're unfaithful. Uh, we see in this first temptation uh, of our Lord with the devil, the devil here does not know that our Lord is God. He just thinks he's a, a man of God. That's why he keeps saying, if thou be the son of uh, God, do this. If thou be, he doesn't know who our Lord is. Mysterious. Our Lord hides who he is from the devil because he's a great work to accomplish in our redemption. But what's interesting is the devil asks our Lord to change the stones into bread. It seems legitimate. You're hungry. Uh, if you're the son of God, you can easily change bread into stone. And our Lord responds that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These words, again, taken from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. When those were quoted in the Old Testament, God was saying to the people, you are 40 years in the desert, and yet notice that your clothes, uh, your clothes are still intact. Nothing has gone to ruin. You're fed manna from heaven. God provides for you. Yes, you need to eat, but food is not uh, the sole foundation of all that we need as human beings. We are called for higher things than purely material necessities. And God provides for us these things. Too often we fail to acknowledge and grasp that reality that God does provide here for us. He does not abandon us. But what does our Lord do? Our Lord acknowledges the stones for what they are. It's a stone. It's hard, yes. 
And while our Lord refuses to change the stone into bread to satisfy himself, later on in a few weeks you'll see in the gospel, our Lord does not fear to use his miraculous power to multiply bread. Why? To satisfy the hunger of others. The compassion, the mercy, uh, the kindness of our Lord is beyond him. To satisfy his own hunger, he does not use his divine power. But to satisfy the hunger of others, he does. And he'll multiply the loaves. But what our Lord does do is acknowledge the rocks for what they are. They are rocks. They are hard. We don't want to acknowledge the reality today. That life, it is tough. Uh, the book of Genesis, God tells us words that we will be here today. In the sweat of uh, your face, thou shalt eat uh, bread until re you return to the earth out of which you were taken. For dust thou art, and to dust you will return. We were made uh, from the dust, and the dust will return. Uh, but your lifelong, you'll, you'll till the earth. You'll work hard. The sweat of your brow, it'll be difficult. Our Lord's not afraid of the difficulty. We try to make our life as comfortable as we can to avoid uh, the difficulty. Uh, our Lord does not uh, refrain from seeking out the difficulty, embracing the difficulty. Even though, unlike us, uh, if we could, at the slip of the click of our fingers, make our life a paradise on earth, we would. Our Lord refuses that. Our Lord embraces the stone. Our Lord teaches us to acknowledge our limitations, acknowledge things as they are. And the modern world despises that. We, we seek to be gods. We uh, don't want to acknowledge the reality as God have made it. We want to invent our own reality, which becomes a delusion. You see with all these uh, uh, abominable ideas being promoted today, I, I'm trans or I'm, uh, uh, I'm gender neutral, I'm fluid, all these insanities. A, a total rejection of the reality as God have made it to embrace our own perverted uh, concept of life and reality as we wish it to be. But no matter how much we try to change it, it doesn't make us, it doesn't change the reality, it doesn't change the fact, and it doesn't actually make us better. It just makes us more miserable. And that's what we are seeing in the world around us. There is a wisdom uh, of God to give us the stones. They are actually good for us. Although it's hard for us to see. That's why it is so important, and I can't stress the point enough, so important that you make a proper Lent. That means you've set out for yourselves, beyond what the church asks of us, some serious uh, sacrifices we're going to offer to God because it's good for us. It's good for us, and I'm going to look at that in more detail, but it is so important for us to learn to embrace the stones as God has given them to us. Uh, because we need the stones. Uh, uh, we today refuse that. God, our Lord, will uh, remind the devil that uh, we are not uh, to tempt the Lord your God. It's easy for us to, to want to seek a higher power, to seek something that we are not. But God, uh, our Lord, will, will challenge the devil. Again, quoting uh, the book of Deuteronomy, Thou shalt not tempt uh, the Lord your God. Uh, these words taken uh, again, uh, a reminding, uh, taken from the book of Deuteronomy, reminding the people that God, God looks after all things. And you know, this is the one thing that, that 
um, all, all the uh, world tries to make us fearful of uh, tomorrow. What if tomorrow? Well, tomorrow is tomorrow. Today is today. God looked after me yesterday. God looking after me today. And God going to look after me tomorrow. His providence has to be the core focus of my life. And that requires faith. That requires trust. That requires letting go. And for us, that is not easy for us. And in the third temptation of our Lord with the devil, uh, the devil tries to promise our Lord a power. If you shall uh, uh, fall down and adore me, I give you all these things, all these empires of the world. Well, the devil is a liar. He doesn't own them. They don't belong to him. He has certain power over these things, but he's not the master over them. The Lord, uh, uh, your God alone, shall they worship and adore. And that's one thing that you see today in common with all false religions and all the false worldly leaders of the world today. They all claim to have a power and authority that actually doesn't belong to them. They don't have it. Uh, people, uh, those leaders outside of uh, the Catholic faith, they have no real religious or spiritual authority. There's only one authority, and that's found in the Catholic Church. And when it comes to secular authorities, notice they all claim uh, uh, an authority, and I'm not talking about their authority to govern, I'm talking about they the, the claim a power over the people that actually doesn't belong to them. Uh, they want the, the same power that God has given to uh, himself alone over their people. No, God alone is worthy of our hearts and our devotion. We are not devoted to the state as though the state were God. The state is not God. And, you know, this concept of separation of church and state, it actually never exists. Because once you separate the church and state, all that happens is the state takes the place of the church. And as you see this today, the state tries to dictate to you what is morally right and what is morally wrong. Uh, you must embrace these ideologies. But hold on. Those ideologies are religious ideologies. So you said we should separate church and state, but then you promote uh, yourself as a church authority, telling us we must embrace these ideas as morally acceptable. What has happened? The, church, the state has become the church. It's taken uh, the place of God. And they don't have that authority. And we must remember that. that their authority is extremely limited, even far uh, less limited, uh, even far less power do they have than the authorities of the church. Uh, have because the church being a higher authority has a greater claim to our submission and our devotion than uh, the civil authorities do. They're only there to serve uh, the, uh, the common good uh, of all. Today we have been taught to, as though there's some supreme authority. Our Lord says, no, the Lord, uh, your God alone, shall you, you worship. Uh, but our Lord teaches us not to be afraid in the combat. And our Lord is heroic, uh, excessive in his heroism. Forty days and forty nights fasting. Uh, he's heroic, generous, uh, zealous for the law of God. And our Lord's constantly quoting the word of God word for word. It's something that when Eve was tempted by the devil, she doesn't. She twists the word of God. God said this. Well, God didn't actually say that. She twists it. 
because it's her way of saying, well, I'm going to start making maybe a compromise with the devil. Uh, and the devil promises her all these things. In taking of this fruit, uh, you will uh, be like to God, uh, knowing good and evil. You'll be God. God doesn't want you to be like him. It's a lie. God has elevated them. God is their friend. God loves them. And uh, notice that when Eve eats of the fruit of this tree, never do you see either Adam uh, or Eve when they eat it, they never ever say, uh, it was so beautiful, it tasted great, best, best fruit in all of uh, uh, paradise. Not at all. No mention of how, because uh, it wasn't that great. And we do the same. Uh, I think that we exaggerate, like Eve, uh, our need for things. Do I need this? And, and you start to say, if I don't have it, it's the end of the world. And uh, it's a big deal for me. Uh, we exaggerate. Or we exaggerate uh, the fears. You know, you see often in little children, you ask them to eat something. And it's like, the, if they don't like it, it's like the end of the world. It's like you're asking them to accept being shot. It's the, the, end, the nth degree. Because it's a little discomfort. And for them, it's so exaggerated, it's the end of the world for them. We do the same. I've got to have this thing. Well, not really. I can do without it. It's not the end of the world. Uh, I, can, I can offer it up. But that spirit is there already in the garden. And it destroyed us and has made us destroyed ever since. Uh, and what's our Lord's beautiful response? To quite, to, to quote the word of God and teach us that he is with us. He's providing for us. That's why the whole book of, uh, sorry, whole chapter of Psalm 90 is quoted in the Mass today in your missiles. Uh, it's quoted to remind us of God's uh, continual providential uh, outlook for us. And the, the three, three fields that we must focus on in during Lent, says St. Peter Chrysologus, are prayer, uh, uh, alms, deeds, and fasting. And he explains this. It is through these three things that faith stands firm, that piety exists, that virtue remains, namely prayer, fasting, and mercy. What prayer requests through unrelenting petition, fasting obtains, and mercy accepts. Prayer, mercy, fasting. These three are one, and these three invigorate one another. Fasting is uh, the soul of prayer. Mercy gives life to fasting. May no one divide these three. They are not to be separated. Any person who has only one of them or does not have all three of them together has none of them. And so the person who prays is to fast. Whosoever fasts is also to show mercy. These three realities should be incorporated into our Lenten observance. And this is why St. Thomas Aquinas explains to us these realities are so important for our self-mastery. And he says that self-mastery withdraws the man from the things which seduce the appetite from obeying reason. God created us in a certain order, and that order must be respected. But the only way we can respect it is by mortifying our appetites. Prayer. Let me just focus on, on all three, and only briefly. I'm not going to go into any detail. But prayer essentially is this... Uh, Focus, recollection of the presence of God. What did, what did Eve, uh, what led Eve essentially to offend God was that she forgot the presence of God. 
You know, in the, uh, in the very book of, early in the book of Genesis, it points out that God walked with Adam. It didn't mean that he was walking like a man uh, walking down the, the garden with Adam. It meant that the, the presence of uh, Adam uh, to God and God to Adam was one. God doesn't forget us, but we easily forget God. And this is the importance of our prayer, uh, to build up that constant recollection that God is with me that I am in the presence of God, so that we are uh, uh, one sentiment with the mind of God. So we, it's so important for us to make an effort in our prayer life, to grow in our prayer life, so that our prayer life is not seen as, and I often see it so much, even with religious, as though it's just a chore. And don't get me wrong, even if you just see it like that, you still have to do it. But the point is, if you're seeing it as just a chore that has to be done or gotten out of the way, then you don't have really the spirit of prayer. Because the spirit of prayer is much like breathing. It's not, nobody says that breathing is a chore for them. It's part of the very fiber that we are. So prayer should be the same for us, uh, part of the very fiber of who we are. We are children of God. Therefore, we are focused, recollected in God, which means we pray. Uh, that's what it means to pray always. St. Paul says pray and fear not. Make your petitions and your requests known to God and be at peace. This should be our sentiment when we pray. Fasting, uh, again, uh, here the question of fasting. Well, Adam and Eve, they, they fell through food. We go back to God uh, by obedience to negating, uh, rejecting, sacrificing the things that we love, that appeal to our appetites, things that... Uh, it's legitimate for us to eat, but we're offering up, we make a sacrifice. In the case of Adam and Eve, it was illegitimate for them uh, to eat it, uh, and yet they still disobeyed. So it's important for us to practice some form of bodily mortification. And here I will say, you know, as families, which as every family should try to have something that you give up for Lent as a family. Uh, and, and the uh, Time during Lent in a family should not be like the other times of the year. Uh, it should be a notable difference. Uh, it's not as, um, you know, flourishing in the foods or whatever. We make sacrifices as a family. But also as individuals in the family, and particularly to the heads of the families, we make uh, more deeper, more generous sacrifices uh, uh, on that level uh, in, in regards to uh, fasting. But for us today, I think we have a tendency to exaggerate, again, worry too much about my health, my, uh, what I can do and what I can't do. And that's no good. Because, and I will say this, all of us, including, uh, uh, you know, we, we, are not ma we are made of the same clay that all the saints were. Uh, they weren't better than us in the level of nature. They're still human beings like us. But it's true to say... Uh, without exaggerating, that we are weaker because we have made ourselves weaker. We live in a world of, uh, of instant gratification, of uh, difficulty we escape at every cost, and we have all these great conveniences that haven't necessarily helped us or even made us better in some ways, made our lives easier, yes, but have made us um, weak. And therefore, uh, in uh, that reality, we start to all the more exaggerate I can't do this. Well, maybe you can try. Maybe you can make a small sacrifice. Maybe you can start in stages. Uh, no, no great bodybuilder was born a great bodybuilder. 
He makes themselves stronger with every week, with every routine, with every training. And a lot of our young people in our parishes, they all have gym subscriptions. And I'm not, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're willing to make that sacrifice, you're willing to go to the gym and do training, okay. But what are you willing to do for God? What sacrifice? Uh, why when it comes to God, we, we act like it's impossible. Fathers being nasty. Well, look at our forefathers. They made a sacrifice. And they would, uh, and to be fair, they would laugh at us, uh, and, and even fair to even a lot of the Eastern Catholics. They, if we uh, told them what we do for Lent, they would, they would say, you're not Christian, actually. No Christian would consider himself a Christian and do what sort of a fast you do during Lent. It's a mockery of your religion. Uh, it is, really. Because the world does greater sacrifices for their faith than we do. So let's be honest about that. But our forefathers, they were heroic because they did in one stay, in one step, after the other. And in the past, the church uh, obliged us to these things. Today we have a church which is apostate and effeminate. And unfortunately, not only the bishops and the priests, but also the lay people. And so we often get leaders we deserve. If we want better leaders, let us pray and, and make sacrifice this Lent for our leaders and also for the conversion of sinners. Uh, encourage you to make uh, sacrifice for the conversion of sinners. Our, and remind you that me and you, we are not fasting and praying and sacrificing alone. We have the whole church united with us, very powerful uh, for us. And, and thirdly, this aspect of alms deeds. Alms deeds, again, another beautiful aspect in the sense of letting go. And what is the greatest fear for us as human beings? The anxiety of tomorrow. And that fear and that anxiety often cripples us. The man who knows how to give alms deeds is letting go. That's why the beautiful story in the New Testament where our Lord praises the widow's might. Not just because she gave all that she had, but in giving what she had, she was trusting in God. She had little, she gave it away. She knew that tomorrow she may not have the means to get by. That's trusting in God. That's letting go. That's trusting in divine providence. We are often stingy because we feel if I give away, I'll have less myself and then maybe not for tomorrow. Well, she's not, she's not worried about tomorrow. She trusts in God. That's a faith. Uh, arms deed our mercy. Learn to show compassion, patience, understanding, forgiveness, charity towards those around us. Often we, we go our whole life long uh, resentful, bitter, angry, uh, let go, forgive, trust in God. Uh, doesn't mean that we still don't have uh, discernment or prudence, but we learn to show mercy. Uh, God wills that we, we give him uh, our hearts, that we let go. Many of us have certainly legitimate, and I insist on the word maybe legitimate, wounds, but we have to let them heal. And, and I would say start with your own family members in the sense that often spouses, they they can remind you. Often women have great memories. They can remember, he said this precise word, and probably spot on, this precise word to me 20 years ago. And they, they don't let go. Okay, he did, but he probably didn't think about it. But maybe he did, and maybe he meant that at the time, but we grow, we, we, we let go, we forgive. Uh, 20 years or 10 years, we're still bitter about things that are said or done. Uh, we can let go, trust in God. Uh, he knows what's good for us. If our Lord held uh, against all those who spat upon him, who betrayed him, who said, crucify him, uh, 
no one would be saved. All of us have offended God. Uh, if he held it against us, then none of us will be saved. None of us. If we want to imitate our Lord, we got to let go. And, uh, and in our case, we probably deserved um, the injustice because we are not that good. Our Lord didn't deserve any injustice. And perhaps that's why we see um, the great tragedy of our Lord's uh, uh, passion. And yet our Lord, knowing all that, would still come to earth, would still eagerly embrace this reality. Our Lord would eagerly embrace the reality, for well knowing the injustice, and yet would still have a heart to embrace all those who offended him and still offend him. Our Lord teaches us how to fight, how to live in this world. We have a beautiful, heroic and, and generous model in our Lord, teaching us uh, this beautiful reality. Uh, it's easy for us to grow in our love of self. You know, St. Paul says that husbands loves your, love your wives as uh, Christ loved the church. And often when I think about that, St. Paul uh, uh, summed it up. Husbands love your wives as you love yourselves. Because we excessively love ourselves and our own comfort. And uh, if you love your spouse or your neighbor as much as you love yourself, well, you'd be on the real road to heroism, which we see in our Lord. Laying a very life, lay, which means laying down the very thing, letting go of the very thing that we love ourselves. That's very hard. And this is why St. Thomas Aquinas says that the love of bodily pleasure leads man to a distaste for spiritual things and not to hope for them as arduous goods. In this way, the lusts of the flesh lead us to discouragement, to despair. Uh, and it's disastrous for us. Uh, we, we can't let go of uh, these things. We struggle. And it's so good for us uh, to let go. So beneficial for us. But that does require faith. It does require trust. It does require charity. These are very hard things for us in a world surrounded by, saturated by uh, materialism and worldly pleasures. Very hard. It becomes harder and harder. Uh, and we, we have, a, unfortunately, a hierarchy which has become also saturated in perversion because they've embraced all these things. And it's led to a decadent and empty uh, church as a whole, worldwide. So sad. We want to pray and make uh, reparation for this. And this is why Pope, Saint Pius, the, Pope Pius XII will say to us that there is a, a real need, a real need for a campaign of penance and fraternal love because the feverish uh, uh, search for pleasure only plunges the human heart into the vacuum of death. And we have today uh, a culture of death. There is a, a need of a real spirit of mortification and charity. Only thus may we hope to wipe out our own sins, give good example to others of the same faith as we are, and also to help our needy brethren by giving to them what we save by not indulging in pleasures. This uh, was the system and the method of action of the first Christians 
who abstained even from things that were lawful, so that they might be able to increase the treasury of active charity. We build up, we build up the mystical body of Christ by our generosity in Lent. And by this, we grow deeper in our union with God. Because that's the goal of all we do. None of these things are ends in themselves. They're all there for a higher reality. And in that note, dear faithful, let us just simply conclude with the beautiful collect of today's Mass. O God, who does purify the church, your church by the yearly observance of Lent, grant to us that what we strive to obtain from you by abstinence we may achieve by good works through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Amen.